0: Actually, it's about ethics and iOS development. Welcome to TechDown, the weekly podcast discussing technology and other nerd-related topics. I'm Adam Komp, joined, as always, by my brother Aaron. Aaron, how are you doing this week? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for being on the show with me. Thank you. Very excited to have you. How has your week been? I feel like it's been forever since we, we've talked last.
1: It has been approximately seven days.
0: Well, since the last TechDown, you and I hung out.
1: Yesterday, two days ago. Oh yeah, we do exist outside of this podcast, right? Uh, yeah, in real life, I did see you pretty recently, right? What about tech down time? How was your last week been? Ah, uh, man, my last week in tech down. I mean, personally, I'm still recovering from the Oscar show. That's what's still reeling in my <laughs> mind, mostly because I've been so uh, engaged with different movies and TV shows recently. So it, a lot of uh. My mind's still being geared towards movies. Ah, I I thought you meant you were still hungover (laughs) in terms of recovering. There is a lot of champagne
0: left, a lot of mimosas. And so you and I are both watching House of Cards
1: at this point because that was released on Saturday, Sunday? Yep. was Was it Sunday? I don't know. All I know is that I couldn't watch it the day it came out, so Mary Beth and I have had to work really hard to catch up. And amazingly, we haven't run into any spoilers. Yeah, me neither. That's a good point. Nobody has posted anything on Twitter. I follow all the right people, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even on Reddit uh, and um, The Verge, different comment uh, sections. People have been really respectful about it. It's funny. It's one of those shows that it's kind of just the common understanding that, you know, no one's going to spoil it for other people. That'd be a really poor sport. I feel like those posts probably exist, but they got downvoted a lot on Reddit.
0: And maybe that says something about House of Cards fans, that they're more polite about releasing spoilers. Or even protective, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, like, a higher—House uh, of Cards attracts a
1: higher sort of fan, a higher class fan. Yeah, and just because we've been talking about House of Cards a lot, uh, I feel like we should be good citizens as well uh, as well, and not spoil too much here, because— I'm only about five or six episodes in, and last I checked, I'm actually a little bit further than you. Is that still true? Yeah, I've watched three or four episodes at this point. Yeah, Yeah, so we still have a lot of surprises left, and we would love to have a more House of Cards themed episode maybe next week. Once we, yeah, once we finish up. I'm not sure I'll be able to watch
0: all of the episodes by next tech down, but we'll see. Right. We'll leave it open. That would be an awesome thing to have an entire show about. I'm looking forward to it. So I've got a quick anecdote. Yeah. There's a new guy at work. His name is Joubert, friend of the show Joubert. And he and I were talking last week and he turns to me pretty much out of the blue and says, Hey, you should start a podcast or you should be on a podcast. And I go, well, it's funny that you mentioned that because, in fact, I am on a podcast and it is called Techdown FM. And I showed him to the website. He listens to quite a quite a uh, few podcasts. So he was able to, he he, he checked it out. So he got a new fan. So that was kind of cool that somebody would say, hey, you should be on a podcast. And then I can go, hey, actually, I already am. Ooh, good looking out, Jubar. Friend of the show, Jubar. 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 It's like... You know um, the movie, the Quentin Tarantino movie about the Nazis, Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards, yeah. There's the bear Jew. Right. He he is the Jew bear. Ah, oh, that's such an easy way to remember it. Yeah, it's a. a he's from Bangladesh, so it's a, a name that's I think more common there. Anyway, he gave me some feedback. Today, because over the weekend he listened to an episode or two and he says, I have way too many verbal pauses. So that's something that
1: I'm going to try to fix this episode and going forward. Hey, Drew Bear, I would like to re- uh, recommend right now Overcast by Marco MN. It has this fantastic feature called Smart Speed that will automatically skip all of Adam's unnecessarily long pauses. It's like magic. But so those are nonverbal
0: pauses. It's my verbal pauses that were really distracting
1: to him. So my my ums and ahs. You know, I feel like as the editor, this is ultimately a feeling on my part. So I'm sorry for not cleaning you up.
0: No, I I mean, it's good to get feedback like this. So I know it's something that I can improve on. I want to get better. So everything that I'm saying now, I'm kind of cognizant about it. And hopefully hopefully, I don't have any verbal pauses. That's my goal. I, I know that I've already had one or two because I've been paying attention. But if I could get down to just a handful, I'd be super happy and I'd count that as progress.
1: I, I want to get better at this podcasting thing. So I really appreciate Juber's feedback. Hell yeah. And if you want to give any feedback to Tech down FM, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at TechDownFM or through our... Do we have a contact email address? <laughs> no cool. We'll yeah, i sure out. to tweet us yeah use twitter For the first, else. first piece of feedback get an email address
0: <laughs> of course we'll never be able to get that feedback because there's no uh feedback email damn it there was a verbal pause I-, I need to like ring a bell or put a dollar in a jar or something like that anyway i also made another change this week that i'm a little bit excited about and hopefully it's not too obvious but i did no preparation
1: Ooh, flying
0: from the seat of your pants. Yeah, and I'm wondering how it will impact kind of the feel of the show. I'm just trying to mix it up this time. Um, Damn it. (laughs) I'll stop pointing out my verbal pauses because that's (laughs) probably getting more annoying than the actual verbal pauses themselves. Yeah, I'm going to have to take that bell down. Yeah, usually I spend like a half hour or so just writing some notes about the topics that we're going to talk about. This, This week I've done none of that, so we'll see how it goes. All right. Let's wing it. All right. So first topic this week.
1: Boyfriends. No. Swift (laughs) development. Awesome teen girl squad reference.
0: (laughs) Arrowed. So, Aaron, we talked about this a little bit, and you are aware, but I wanted to announce that I started working on a new iOS development project.
1: Yeah, you hear it? Heard it here first. New project from rockstar developer Adam Comp.
0: Yeah, so I am all about gradient backgrounds on my iOS devices. I don't think that we've mentioned this on the show before. Maybe we have.
1: No, you haven't, but this is a recent obsession of yours.
0: Oh, yeah, I've always preferred gradient backgrounds, but recently it has kind of turned into a bit of an obsession.
1: You've taken matters into your own hands, I'm to understand.
0: Yeah, so I purchased Pixelmator, also known as Pixelmator, a couple of months ago and learned my way around the gradient tool in that and used it to make a couple of custom backgrounds for my iPhone recently. Then I tweeted about it and I got a couple of responses. Um one was my wife who I guess she probably just saw my phone. She might not have even seen my tweet, but she really liked my background and wanted the same one for her phone, which I was happy to oblige. But then friend of the show, Adam Johnson, also wanted a custom-made iPhone 6 gradient background, and I had him pick his color, and he, he has a new 6 Plus, so I created the the background for him and picked motor, sent it over to him, and he was very happy with it. Do you follow so far? Yeah. Adam Johnson is also a rock star iOS developer, and he told me that I should just make an app that will generate these for people, which seemed like an awesome, awesome idea. And so that was about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago. And I dug in, created a new application, decided to do it in Swift because it's going to be so simple and basic. So I use it as an opportunity to learn the basics basics of Swift. And it is basically ready to submit to the App Store at this point. I've removed a lot of the features that I want to eventually add, so I'm definitely going to be making updates as time goes on. But I'm excited about how quickly I was able to throw it together and about using Apple's new programming language for the first time. So
1: do you have any first impressions of Swift?
0: So, yeah, my first impression is that it's not helpful at all. Mm -hmm. There's very little benefit to using Swift. And doing pretty much anything is a complete pain in the ass. But I will say it is really fun to be learning a new programming language again for the first time. It's like being a complete newbie and I'm looking at everything with fresh eyes. Anytime I want to do anything, create a new instance of an object, I'm hitting up Stack Overflow and looking for examples, which definitely takes up time. But it's again, it's a learning experience. I knew it would be. So it's cool to be biting off a little bit of Swift for the first time. I had to deal with bridging headers, which is if you have a Swift project, it's a way for you to use Objective C files and libraries in your project. So I used Flurry as my analytics platform, and Flurry's library is written in Objective C. So in order to use it, I had to figure out how to do bridging headers, which was um, just one example of the sort of thing that I had to
1: pick up for this project. Hmm, it's really interesting that uh-huh. you just have that. Um, feeling that you know you're a beginner again, and you have to look up everything you do. Like I've definitely had that sensation when I'm trying to learn new things, especially when it comes to automation or a little bit of development of my own. And it's really, uh, you know, you know, it's nice to me just to know that somebody who knows what they're doing, you know, and gets paid professionally to program iOS development, still has that feeling, you know, in the, when they're learning something new. It's encouraging to a newbie like me.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it all it takes is time. Once you learn the basics, which there's tons of resources to learn the basics, you can take those principles and kind of apply them to other programming languages. There are some new ideas in Swift that I'm not super comfortable with right now. Um, And I can't really think of any off the, the top of my head. Oh, like closures... That sort of thing. Um everything being a struct and an enum and oh not being oh, what is it? It's loosely typed so everything is kind of a var in Swift, whereas in Objective C everything was defined up front to be an NSString. String. Oh, and Swift has oh my god, this is this is the worst thing. That drives me crazy. <laughs> Swift has what's called optionals. So in a language like Objective-C, you have strings, if it's going to be some characters or a word that you want to show, or some other sort of object, a dictionary or an array. And in Swift, things, are, things can be optional as a data type, and if they are optional, then they might not exist, or if they exist, then they are the data type that they were in Objective-C. So something could return an optional string for you. And if a method returns an optional string, then you need to unpack that string by typing an exclamation mark after after the string when you try to reference it. So if something doesn't compile and I'm being lazy, I found myself doing the stupid thing of just inserting exclamation marks randomly at, at the end of lines trying to unwrap optionals, which... After doing that two or three times, I'm like, "This is dumb. I need to actually dig in and realize why this isn't compiling but but yeah there's there's the new fundamentals that I'm having a little bit of trouble with, but that's that's the fun struggle
1: that I'm after yeah um so you mentioned before this is maybe just a little bit of a tangent. and we can get back to Swift and your new app, yeah, hit but me. you you mentioned that you were throwing some uh, analytics in there with the flurry platform. What is it that you want to track? in a gradient-creating app?
0: Yeah, so basically what I track... All the app does right now is it will allow you to generate a random gradient that is the size of your device, and it is a gradient that goes up and down, and it involves two randomly chosen colors. And that's it. I eventually want to do more, and I want to give people the ability to do all sorts of different gradients, do diagonals, do blur effects, be able to choose their colors and customize um, to, to, to different devices, like be able to export a certain gradient to an iPad or an iPhone if you really like it and want it to be on multiple devices. You don't have to go recreate it. And so th- there's a lot that's going to be involved in the in the application, but right now it's really basic. And right now I track when you generate a new background and when you save one, which of, you save it to your photo roll, and then you're able to select it as the background for your device. And I also had to give a little bit of thought to pricing on this app because I could make it free, hundred percent free. I could make it a paid upfront application, or you could go kind of the overcast middle ground, which I've wanted to do for a while, which is to make the application free, but kind of have some pro features that are paid. And so there's an in-app purchase in order to unlock everything.
1: Am I to understand you're completely dismissing uh, um, advertisements in-app? Did I miss you say that?
0: So yeah, I guess... I am a little bit. I don't really care for advertisements in my applications. And so I don't even really explore that as a as an option. I've actually been this was kind of cool. I got contacted by Apple to add advertisements to Kitchen Sink a, a while back, yeah. Really? iAds, right? I don't know if we talked about that before. Yeah. Um and I ended up not going through with it. Obviously, if you've used the application, but it was still kind of cool to see how they 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 pushed They uh, advocate for that. I'll I'll use that word. Hmm. So basically, to answer your question, I'm capturing analytics about how many backgrounds are generated per session. So I know where to draw the line. Because right now, on the first release, I'm going to have it restricted to the number of backgrounds that you're able to generate without unlocking the pro features of the application. And right now, I just kind of have to guess... Where is a good place to put that line and i'm going to do it at 20 i believe you can generate 20 backgrounds randomly before you can purchase the full 99 cent in in-app purchase i'm going to go with 99 cents it's again it's a simple application so basically i want to use the analytics to tailor that like if people are if a ton of people are hitting that 20 randomly generated cap or random generation cap, then maybe that's something that I would dial up a little bit. If most people are only generating five or six, maybe it's something I would scale down. But also going forward, once you're able to kind of tailor the, kind of adjust the gradient to be the way that you want it, Maybe I'll capture more data about what kinds of gradients are the most popular and that sort of thing. I'm also doing something that's kind of exciting, that I'm excited about at least, with this app. And something that I've had trouble with in the past is marketing. Because I'm a developer rock star. I'm definitely not a marketing rock star. So I have the option in this app right now where if you want to share the application with your friends on a social network, that will give you basically a day pass to use all of the pro features, which right now is just randomly generating backgrounds, but for the entirety of the day. So if you share it on Facebook or Twitter or email or iMessage or whatever, I I don't really care too much, then you basically get free reign to do whatever you want in the application and use it as, as though you were had paid your 99 cents up front, which is something that I've, I've seen before. I think I can't really picture in my mind, any applications that do this, but it's something different and I'm kind of interested to see how it works out. I've also decided that I'm going to name the application something incredibly basic and SEO oriented. So I'm going with gradient backgrounds. So if you're on the app store and you do a search for gradient backgrounds, this will hopefully rank high in the return searches. So I'm trying a lot of different things. And I think analytics are going to play a part in that. I want to be able to look at the data, how the people are using the application, how many people are actually sharing it, saving, generating,
1: and respond in-kind. Yeah. Um, I appreciate the insight into the, not just your analytics position, but also the, just your general monetization strategy with the app, which is, of course, really, really important in this client climate. And iOS development for third parties has been around for going on seven, eight years now, something to that effect. And it's kind of interesting because even though in-app purchases of been around for a majority of that time exactly how to price an app is a constant struggle for developers it's one you hear time and time again every single year it's a it's a problem that doesn't go out of style it hasn't been solved yet right and also in-app purchases
0: are a little bit of a pain in the ass to develop i don't know if you know this
1: but Well, my experience is testing them, and I can definitely attest to that.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's easy to write the code to do it, but then you need to be logged into a device because you can't test in-app purchases on the simulator at this point. You need to be logged into a device with a sandbox account, which means you basically can't use your actual device to test because then you would have to log out of your Apple ID account and log into this one. And then I worry about my apps getting deleted or, or all sorts of things. And so, yeah, that's just totally a pain. Not, not a fan of developing and testing anti-purchases at this point, but hopefully, hopefully it pays off. I wouldn't be surprised if this silly kind of kind of stupid, kind of trivial application that I've done ends up being one of my more popular ones, actually.
1: Yeah, no, I can totally see it. And it really fits the single uh, utility purpose that was like the original concept of the App Store. Yeah, I like that.
0: Yeah. And even though it's basic, I've gone through, I've gone to pretty great lengths to try to make the user experience really good. And I have nice animations where uh, where it makes sense and things are responsive all the time. You you actually pointed out a good use case where what happens if the photo saving feature fails, and that's something that I hadn't accounted for. So I made sure to cover that. Um, so I, I just for a basic application, I have all my bases covered. I'm really excited about it. But speaking of. Pricing of applications. I think that's a really good lead into our second topic. Would you like to talk about this a little bit?
1: Yeah, I I mentioned that how to price your app is a question that developers have been going back and forth on for years, and it's a conversation that seems to have kicked up a little bit of dust this week. Uh, Exactly how you can price your app so that the development and continued development of the software uh, that we all buy on our phones is sustainable for the developers that it's making enough money to fund continued development, and the developers are able to recoup their initial costs. And this is a problem that we end up seeing a lot of apps that go out of business because they don't uh, monetize in a successful way, which is a really big bummer. And then we see other apps, uh, games in particular, that seem to eat up a big part of the pie with things like consumable in-app purchases, which we both pretty much just agreed upon that we hate um in-app purchases can be used for good and for evil and that's definitely the evil side of the coin so how does a good-hearted developer make money in this current climate in the app store and also fund continued development of their app it's it's a really hard question especially if you have to provide any sort of support for your app as well any time you spend conversing with a client or a customer you know, you're only getting a dollar to ten dollars out of these people at the absolute max. So, spending an hour with a cu- client basically is eating the cost of that sale. Wait, th- did I say that I hate consumable in-app purchases? You never explicitly said that. Did I, did did I make an ass of, of myself? No. Uh, well, you assumed. I did. Yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah, I don't.
0: I, I guess I have an idea for an application that has consumable in-app purchases that if I ever get a good chunk of free time, I think will make me rich beyond my wildest dreams. So I don't I don't want to go on the record right
1: now. Those pesky ethics. Yeah. Actually, it's about ethics and iOS development.
0: And if I were to go on the record as being anti-consumable in-app purchase this episode... If I released a new application two years from now that actually had consumable in-app purchases, friend of the show John
1: Schultz would hold me accountable. So I got I to gotta make sure that I'm, I set the record straight. You know, you got to be proud about it, man. Steve Jobs was a notorious flip-flopper. I was against it until I was for it. Ah, Yeah, you got to own that, right? Yeah, exactly. You can't go around tiptoeing because you might make a decision some point in the future. Come on, you got to own it in the present time.
0: I'm going to go on the record as saying that it can be the correct solution for a problem. <laughs> Maybe
1: I should go into politics. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I cut you off. No, I mean, it's it's not like I have an answer to the question at hand, you know? How how do you price your app that's fair to the, the consumer and they're willing to pay it? Because there seems to have been, over the last couple of years, this race to the bottom mentality where... If you have a quality application and you want to stand apart from your competitors, you basically can only compete on price because all, all apps, you know, the, the most that your potential customers are going to see of it before they buy it is some screenshots and maybe uh, video up front. And that's not a lot to go off of. So a lot of times, whatever is the cheapest app is the one that gets bought, not necessarily the best app.
0: So kind of the reason we're having this discussion, I think the, the genesis of this entire conversation and why it's a topic on the internet again, is that Vesper, the note taking app from Q branch was originally iPhone only and $2 and 99 cents. Again, I did no preparation this episode. So correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, you're mostly right. Yeah, it was, it was $3 and it was iPhone only. And now they have an iPad version that also supports landscape on the iPhone and is also I believe seven dollars more expensive is gonna be their price going forward. So it's gonna be ten dollars, but right now it's on sale for something like seven or eight. Is is that kind of kind of accurate?
1: Yeah. I might also add that the versions sync between one another, but that's another big feature.
0: Oh, this this release includes syncing
1: also? Yes.
0: I see. So they've they've actually introduced features and raised their price,
1: which is just crazy, crazy. Yes, yeah, it is in this market.
0: Let me ask you, how many iOS applications that cost $10
1: or more have you purchased? Ooh. I'd say with the exception of screens, which is a VNC app, none come to mind. I think I've paid Maybe like seven dollars for Launch Center Pro. I've I've gotten a few premium applications, but they're not springing to mind.
0: Yeah, ten dollars is high for an iOS application. I can't think of any, actually, off the top of my mind. And I don't think that I would purchase Vesper for ten dollars. If I, I purchased it when it came out, because I wanted to
1: see what all the hubbub was about, but I can't. I couldn't see myself paying ten dollars for it, actually. I think it is really good opinionated software, and I think the price is just as much about the quality as it is about drawing a line in the sand. Like, really, a lot of what the guys at QBranch are trying to accomplish here is uh, saying enough is enough about the race to the bottom mentality and trying to encourage and bolster other developers to raise the prices and really get their money's worth for apps, which I think is a noble effort, but I would be. Particularly if I was in that position, I would be reluctant to follow their lead.
0: Yeah, so I I was thinking that I was part of the problem with my free-to-try 99 cents-for-pro-features application that I'm currently about to release. But you think that the higher price tags aren't really sustainable going forward?
1: I think it's all situational, and I think as much as some personality uh development celebrities you might want to call them uh, in the twitter sphere kind of decry having a large following as like the only reason that they can sustain high prices you know some people think that that's the only reason that some of these people actually are able to profit from the ecosystem i think that's true to an extent for certain people and if you are relatively unknown and you try to put um, an app as good as Vesper out there with no marketing and no one to speak to its quality, you're not going to get very far if you price it at ten dollars. Do you know what is a sustainable pricing model
0: for a lot of companies? What consumable in-app purchases?
1: Ooh, ugh. This ugh. It's this like a dirty word.
0: This game of war game that's all over the place. clan
1: of clash of clans is that what it is clash of of war
0: clash of clans is a different one but there's a a game of war that has kate upton in the commercial and also i think stannis baratheon from game of thrones i don't know but i I know a bunch of people who play it and it just has tons of in-app purchases and people love it and it's making millions of dollars a day super sustainable
1: yep just like candy crush too
0: that his in it purchases. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've noticed a lot of people playing Candy Crush lately. Is that coming back?
1: I don't. I don't think it ever left. I don't know. It's definitely like any addiction. It kind of rears its ugly head occasionally. Hmm. Okay, fair enough.
0: So, pricing of applications. What do you think about my pricing model that I've gone with for this basic gradient
1: generation tool that I've built? I think you fall into the category of people who don't have a huge following. Thanks. And so charging a dollar— Calling me a loser. Not yet you don't. Don't worry. The Techdown faithful will rise <laughs> all boats. Um. <laughs> okay. All apps. No, but I think the most interesting part of your pricing strategy, or at least your theoretical pricing strategy, because I'll remind our loyal viewership that this app is not available yet. It hasn't been submitted. It doesn't have, as far as I know, the sharing features that you're talking about. That's something you would like to add? Is that?
0: No, it'll launch with that. That'll be a day one feature. Okay, so
1: it does have that in the 1.0. I think the most interesting part then about your payment model is that you are equating the same value to sharing the app via Twitter uh, as getting a dollar from a user. And I think that is a very wise move because word of mouth to me is a lot more valuable from 50 people than getting 50 people's $1 bills.
0: Yeah. I, I, I'm really excited about it. And people like uh, QBranch, which is John Gruber, who has a website that has millions of hits every single day, Brent Simmons, who is a well regarded iOS developer, and Dave Wiskus, who is a great designer. Like they're a solid team. They have a loyal following that will purchase or try out at least or talk about anything that they do. So for them, this is definitely an, an option for people like me, who is not really yet a figure in the community. I'd like to get there eventually. But for right now, I need to have some other way to do my marketing because I, I don't have that following yet. So um, I'm I'm glad that you approve of what I'm trying out. And Hopefully in the next week or two, I'll have the app in stores and we can talk about it again. And I can kind of talk about how my experiment is going and how many downloads I'm getting and how many shares and kind of talk through those numbers. That would be kind of fun
1: to talk about on the show. I would love to hear that follow up. So let me ask you, because this isn't your first time at the rodeo. You've had previous pricing experiments with some of your some of your other apps like kitchen sink is there anything that you learned that was particularly valuable in that situation
0: uh so kitchen sink was weird because it's gone back and forth between free and 99 cents and for a little while it was if you wanted to sync, it was 99 a 99 cent in-app purchase for that really cool feature
1: Very much in the pro feature vein, although arguably your app name was Kitchen Sink. Yeah, exactly.
0: And so that's what kind of like I didn't have a differentiating a feature to different to uh, draw the line on with Kitchen Sink, and I chose to do it on Sync, and it ended up with most people using the application not actually using the Sync function, which made me really sad because it's in my opinion the coolest part of the program. So oh yeah, that was. A little bit of a flop, and so right now it's free in the App Store just because I I think it's awesome and I want I want people to download and use it. So that was kind of all over the place. I I had a really solid release with Kitchen Sink when it first came out, and it was it was free, and then it went to ninety nine cents after that, and I I never made any real money off of it. Anything I, I probably haven't even made like. A hundred bucks off of kitchen sink total, but I have a fair amount of users because when it's been free, downloads have been somewhat steady, so I get something like a thousand users a day on kitchen sink some- something like that a thousand sessions a day.
1: Yes, that was the more important part. You get a pretty good amount of downloads, but really interesting to me is how active your user base is
0: yeah it, it's it's something like that it's hovering around I think it's something like four or five hundred users and about a thousand sessions.
1: Per day, yeah. which is okay. I'll take that. So the lesson that I, I'm hearing uh, that you derive from the kitchen sink pricing situation is, you absolutely did not want to put ads in there to make money. All of that done, you would rather make it free than put in uh, iAds, which I'm starting to question because it seems like you have a pretty good user base that might rack up some views.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't even know with. A couple hundred users in a day, how much money I would get from ads? I can't imagine that it would be too much. Maybe I'm an idiot and I'm leaving thousands of dollars on the table. Who knows? Um, actually, I think a more interesting experiment that I did was with Webcomic Jour, which was my first application. I eventually had one version that was free, and you could add eight, I think, comics to your feed, and then one app that was paid, and it was two dollars something like that and you could add unlimited so it was kind of like a demo version that was in the store and that i actually got a fair amount of money from i think i was able to buy a computer actually based off of the money that i got from webcomic du jour um and then webcomics revolted and i had to remove it from the store
1: yeah but it was good profiting off of those webcomics while you could
0: i still got a computer man can't complain
1: yeah, and a nice nice app on your portfolio, too.
0: Right? Yeah. With a beautiful icon, I must say.
1: Thanks. Created by friend of the show. Marilyn Ali. Yeah. and And you. You had a hand in it, too, right? Well, yeah, at the conception stage and an early version of the icon that was iterated upon and much improved. Aaron loves to
0: be there for conception.
1: It's true. It's my favorite part of any process. <laughs> yeah. Anything else to say on app pricing? Um, I don't have a ton to say. I'm hoping that something new and interesting happens with the Apple Watch being available. It would be really sad to me if people buy $10,000 Apple Watch editions and then demand 99 cent watch faces for them, you know? Oh,
0: interesting point.
1: There's a return to some premium markets and software with the introduction of uh, the Apple Watch. I'm, I'm not holding my breath, but I'm hoping.
0: That reminds me, I, I don't think, I don't know if I've talked about it on the show, but I do have an Apple Watch app that's basically ready to go once we get a release date for that that has a bunch of different in-app purchases. So it, it'll be interesting to share those numbers with our listeners also to see how successful or not successful uh, a first-to-market Apple Watch app is.
1: Yeah, actually, pretty excitingly, we did not mention, but there was an invite sent out this week for the next Apple event, which we can only assume will focus almost entirely on the Apple Watch. And that will be occurring a week from today, Monday, March 9th. And you know what that means? That means that
0: TechDown has survived from one large Apple event to the next. We've made it through the dry spell.
1: Am I crazy? Oh, yeah, yeah. I I mean, we did go from the September event to the October event.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, right? But we could basically talk about the September event up until October, right? So That's true. We've, we've made it through the lean yes. months. The dry
1: spell's over, yeah, folks. We've filled the gap, and now we will be able to talk about new Apple technology. Yeah. Here I was thinking that we'd be talking about House of Cards. I might have to wait an extra week anyway, just because we'll be talking about the ridiculously thin macbook air that's going to get announced next week that's
0: right yeah a week from now is the event
1: yep that's my next computer damn it
0: okay so quick predictions you think apple watch definitely do you think a new laptop will be announced also
1: ah you know that's me voting with my heart again where's that ever gotten me (laughs) yeah losing the oscars to friend of the show john schultz i know So I would say I hope that the refreshed, uh, or not refreshed, I think there will be a refresh to the current MacBook Air hardware. But I hope an all-new MacBook Air comes out that's 12-inch and Retina. Yeah, if there's a
0: Retina 12-inch MacBook Air, it might be an insta-buy for me because I've been looking
1: to replace my wife's computer, actually. Yeah, and she's going to love when you buy that Apple Watch and that uh, new MacBook Air in the same week. Well, the Air will be for her, so she won't mind. Oh, is she not going to get her own Apple Watch?
0: Oh, yeah. It's good.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, couple of weeks. Wh- I can't wait.
0: Which Apple Watch are you going to get? You're going to get a gold edition, $10,000?
1: I am thinking I will not go with the gold edition because it would have to be rose gold or nothing, in my opinion. Oh, I see. Yeah. You're one of those. Yeah. And actually, the stainless steel model, if it's north of $800, that's really steep in my opinion i was hoping it would be 500 bucks but that seems extremely unlikely uh, at the moment so i'm leaning towards getting the just the apple watch sport edition and uh probably a slightly nicer band than what it comes with
0: what color
1: are you gonna get or which i really band? like the look of the space gray uh, apple watch and then which band i'm not sure which size screen are you looking at <sighs> See, this I've been going back and forth about. I really wish I could try it on in the store so I could see what it looks like. I figure elements are going to be designed for the smaller one cuz you're not going to want touch targets to be smaller than the smallest model can handle. So maybe that's the one to get. Uh, I don't know. Just kind of uh going back and forth in my head. I mean like I feel like I have a pretty dainty wrist, so <laughs> maybe I should go with the smaller one.
0: Yeah, I think you and I both have somewhat dainty wrists. I was thinking about getting the smaller one also. Especially since I'm not sure how much I'm actually going to be wearing this thing. I worry that it's going to bother me so much when I'm typing at a keyboard that I will put it in a drawer immediately after buying it and just kind of forget about it.
1: Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm interested in trying it out. I, um I think I mentioned on the show earlier in the run that I had a jawbone for quite a bit and up 24, and I did not mind having it physically on my person. I didn't mind uh, walking around with it. Occasionally, it was a little bit of a bother to sleep with, but uh, in worst case, I would just put it on the other wrist so I could you know, get my hand under the pillow without getting a jawbone in between me and <laughs> my head. And uh, this Did you say you slept with your jawbone? Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: Oh, like actually <laughs> sleeping. Okay.
1: You know, don't don't think about it too much. No. The the visual is not good. But it
0: it didn't bother you very much.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: That's a good one for our listeners.
1: Yeah. But unfortunately the jawbone ended up really going on the fritz in the last couple of weeks of its life. I ended up losing the charger for for a while, so it sat in a drawer for about a period of two months or longer. And then I finally bought a seven dollar charger off of Amazon and recharged it but by that point it was like half dead and barely works now so i'm just gonna wait until the apple watch is available and then pick that up but i'm a little bit a little bit disappointed or maybe that's a too strong of a term but surprised to hear that you're not a uh, so thrilled with the apple watch or you're not as excited maybe is there no killer feature in your opinion i am guardedly
0: optimistic But I just know that having it on my wrist will bother me while I'm typing and I spend a significant amount of my day typing. So I'm not sure how that's going to play out. I'm actually really interested in the ideas uh, or in the the concept of being able to get notifications on my wrist and see who has emailed me or sent me a text message just by looking at my wrist and not pulling my phone out. So I'm interested. I want to see where it goes. I'm like I said Guarded at this point. Um, I'm also. I'm really looking forward to the fitness implications. I think we've mentioned this before, but being able to run with it, change songs, respond, maybe check text messages and emails that are coming in while running with the phone. I think that seems super interesting because I do a fair amount of running. So we'll see. I'm definitely going to get the Sport Edition. I'm leaning towards getting the smaller one. And almost certainly going to get the black band with the space
1: gray uh, device. Nice. Any other predictions for the event?
0: I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Apple mentions an Apple car.
1: Uh, See, I'm going even further out of left field and saying that they release an Apple television, not an Apple TV. Just a straight-up television set. Oh, my God, man. I didn't even think that this might be a time to announce a new Apple TV. The car is a smokescreen.
0: Yeah, that would just make my day. I hadn't even thought about that, but a new Apple TV, that would be great. I guess my heart really tells me that they don't want to water down the announcement of their first new product in a while. So if I were to make an actual wager, I would wager
1: that it's all about the watch. Yeah, you think so? Yep. How about any um, partners who come on stage? Third parties? I bet Facebook gets out there. There's a couple partnerships that we already saw, like with a hotel suite that you could unlock the door of your hotel room with the Apple Watch. Maybe we'll see a couple demonstrations like that. Probably see some more Apple Pay stuff. Um, Otherwise, how do you
0: you fill a whole event? you got to be showing off stuff that people have already built, right?
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, at least this is again me uh, voting with my heart, but I really hope that they're going to show a couple of use cases off that we haven't seen before, like a couple of apps that have been available in the simulator or something like that that we haven't seen publicly. Yeah,
0: maybe. That would be great. Any thoughts about a release date?
1: Um, I'm thinking... The whispers I've heard is like April tenth, early April. So I'll I'll echo that.
0: Okay, yeah, that sounds reasonable to me.
1: Gives me time to save my pennies,
0: and that gives me time to polish up my Apple
1: Watch app. That's right. Get into WatchKit Defcon two.
0: That's right. All right, man. You want to call it a show?
1: Yes. So if you want to reach out to me or Adam on Twitter, we are both on that platform. I'm at Aaron Comp. I'm at Adam Comp. And then at techdown FM is the Twitter handle for the show. Also be on the lookout for gradient backgrounds for iOS
0: to be released soon.
1: Yes, coming to show notes near you soon.
0: or if you are listening to this from the future, it is probably already released, and you should go
1: download it now and If you' are listening to this from the past, please kill Hitler. <laughs>